0: greetings and salutations all you sportsmen and women out there and conservationists across new york state and the fruited plain welcome back to another episode of we love outdoors with rich davenport i am your humble host rich davenport coming to you from sunny Tondawanda, new york That's right, sportsmen and women, welcome back to another episode of We Love Outdoors with Rich Davenport, coming to you on on Anchor.fm, powered by Spotify. You can get this podcast on Spotify and Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Beacon, Free Radio, Pocket Casts, and of course, Anchor.fm. Hey, please help support this podcast by donating to the cause, you know, $2 a month, Five dollars a month, whatever you can afford. It helps me push back on the propaganda in the news while providing sound conservation, news, and commentary, along with sound science and conservation principles. Uh spread the word folks, man. You know, we're we're growing by leaps and bounds. Uh more and more are listening, getting the word out on this, and uh it's 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 really uh really good. We're getting a lot of positive feedback. Hey, anyhow, you know, we had a real nice weekend again. Um, uh, you know, it was the uh, the weekend before National Hunting and Fishing Day that is coming up on this coming Saturday um, you know the weather had been really great uh we you know especially yesterday got out to do a little bit of fishing uh, you know fished off of uh, uh Evangola with a couple of friends during uh during a really wonderful day and uh you know we did find the perch we put quite a number of yellow perch in the box a lot of big big fish uh had a real mixed bag out there a bunch of walleye mixed in as well uh Uh, A couple of smallmouth bass, a few sheephead, uh, some white perch, and the big catch of the day uh, was a 12-pound, 11-ounce channel catfish. That was really interesting. All right, so, you know, got some uh, information to update you on. Uh, First off, the deer season, uh, the first deer season of the 2021 season is now in the books. Um, I hope all that actually got out and uh, hunted this special antlerless-only season, which started on September 11th. It closed yesterday. I hope you all had a wonderful hunt uh I saw a lot of pictures on social media and heard some reports from friends uh, you know one of the benefits to this uh, uh season, although I thought it was kind of a detriment in terms of the heat uh the warmth maybe creating a, a, a fast spoilage effect of the meat uh It was something that you know folks that were older uh also younger and uh you know folks that may be a, a bit disabled uh you know had the opportunity to hunt in really nice weather and uh you know hunt deer obviously in really nice weather you could always hunt the squirrels but uh you know there was a post up on uh the Western New York hunting and fishing site on Facebook um and uh, apparently this uh this hunter who posted it uh brought his dad out who had suffered a stroke and uh, hadn't been able to hunt for a few years because you know he just did his mobility and the uh, ability to tolerate the cold and uh, he actually ended up uh, splashing a really nice doe and uh, it was the first hunting season that he was uh, able to uh, uh, experience really and enjoy in in the the past uh, five six years so you know that's a really uh, a a really good reason and a really good uh, feedback that we got from this uh, particular season so you know that there's there's a lot of good to it. I know that a lot of people were a little bit upset about it, especially archers, thinking that it would screw up the archery season by shooting early. But uh, you know this was a really interesting, and a, I just wanted to share that with you guys. Um, you know the DEC is going to be uh, monitoring the harvest of this rather closely, folks. Uh, at present, there is a planned second issuance, uh, you know, for DMPs and those problematic wildlife management units. And unless some miracle happens and all the tags are issued before October 1 or by October 1, uh, you know, that's you know those is secondary issuances are going to continue on a first-come, first-served basis. Uh, since the season was codified a little bit late this year, you know, the DMP lottery was already underway. Many who may have wanted to hunt in this, you know, they may hunt 9A or 9F in Region 9, uh, may hunt one of the, the several units in Region 8 um you know they they didn't have the opportunity to 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 grab those early perhaps uh so you know that like that would be like myself you know i picked uh you know typically southern zone areas and i'd wait till the uh secondary issuance to grab a tag closer to home uh next year i may snag one early and uh you know try to put some meat on the ground early uh <clears throat> they're going to be collecting this information to see what's going on uh, but they do anticipate the d e c does anticipate that uh you know the secondary issuances are going to continue, and the uh the bonus d m p program over in those four archery units which are covered under that that's also going to continue until they see the harvest moving in the right direction uh yeah, so you know hopefully we'll uh we'll be able to get a better gauge on on uh the attitudes and and the opinions on this from the hunters during the spring. Uh, meetings that are coming up next year. And just a reminder that while the antlerless season is closed up yesterday, the resident goose season runs through the 25th. Saturday the 25th is the last day for the the, uh, resident goose season. Um, October 1 is the early archery opener in the southern zone. September 27th is the early archery opener in the northern zone. Um, Youth hunters, the special uh, Columbus Day Uh, hunt is just a few weeks away believe it or not and you know again October 1 is the end of the uh, doe permit uh, lottery so if you haven't yet if you've gotten your license but you haven't yet applied to get a DMP the clock is ticking folks you got till next week and that's going to be it until the second issuance in those problematic um, WMUs that typically happens November 1st on a first-come first-served basis. Speaking of youth hunters, uh, Erie County Executive Mark Cars has slated his public hearing on the youth hunting local law, which is tomorrow, September 21st at 1130 a.m., 14th floor conference room at the Rath Building, which is right across the street from Old County Hall, where the legislative public meetings were held in August. Uh, I hope to see many uh, Erie County sportsmen and women in the gallery. We know that the antis are going to be there. Let's hope the youth hunters of Erie County are afforded the opportunity to hunt here and not have their parents be forced to drive to another county, kind of like living in the south where dry counties require you to drive to a different county to buy beer. Kind of similar, right? Um, Once the law is signed and filed with the New York Secretary of State, the law will be uh, taking effect immediately. So, you know, hopefully we can get this done, we can make sure that the uh, county executive signs this and get it done so the kids can hunt the early uh, uh, Columbus Day Youth Hunt and remain here in Erie County. Uh, Concerning the new shooting hours, I also, I wanted to offer some advice and for awareness, as safety is always a concern. And, you know, made more so by the online hunter training without hands-on schooling, and now hunters will be dealing with the low-light, high-movement period for the first time in our history, or at least that I'm aware of. Uh, Demands on the hunter haven't changed. You must identify that animal as a lawful animal to harvest based on the tags that you hold. And, you know, an antler deer, you know, still needing a three-inch single tine or larger, that can be difficult to clearly see in low-light. You must also know your target and what is beyond. You know, that's our responsibility as hunters. Uh you know, despite the new mandatory hunter orange or hunter pink rules, you still need to see what is beyond your target, such as ground blinds. You know, hunters may be behind thick brush, etc. If you're not sure, side with safety. And again, you know, remember that you know low light levels in or light levels in the forest. Uh, you know in a wooded area you know in in dense vegetation is going to be a lot darker than it will be out hunting in a field Uh, you know it's it you got to use your best judgment and make sure you take your time you know overcast skies versus clear skies that's going to impact it even more you know on a clear sky you may be able to to see very clearly you know enough to shoot 45 minutes before sunrise you know that those could be those rare days that are out there like that but most of the time it's it's you know could be challenging and and you want to take your time because nothing substitutes safety than actually taking your time and identifying everything with careful thoughtful diligence Uh, you know that applies to firearms obviously because you know once you let that bullet fly you can't call it back uh, but even when you're looking at, uh, you know, crossbow or or uh, traditional uh, vertical bows, compound bows, you know, you want to be able to look and make sure that there's nothing around you. Now, typically the deer won't be, you know, coming in that close if you do have a hunter that's in close proximity. But still, you want to make sure that there's nothing behind that deer, there's nothing in between you and that deer, and uh, that can suddenly jump up and say, hey, uh, you know, maybe there's a there's an animal that's right in front that's not a legal deer and it, you know, lifts its head up and, you know, you, you want to make sure you, you're doing things right, you know, folks. So just take your time. That's what I can say to you. Um, don't stretch the, the time. You know, try try to stay, you know, as, as, as within the books as possible, please. Uh, you know, safety and common sense go hand in hand. And you know the the hunting hours are going to be changing every single day as they always do. Um, with the extra math that you're adding now, you know my recommendation is that you download the solar tables and you work out when the sunrise and sunset is for each day, and then do that math to to calculate the half hour before and a half hour after and do that before you get in the woods document it put it there at camp for everybody to see before you go hunting so everybody's aware of when you can shoot and when you can't Uh, that's always a good thing to do Um, you know i was taught you know during my days when i was learning how to hunt down in allegheny state park um, with a bunch of my friends you know we spent a lot of years and a couple of decades uh, hunting archery season and uh, one of the guys down there uh, would always talk about the seven p's proper prior planning prevents piss poor performance. Uh, I think that 's a military motto and uh, but it 's a good motto to live through life and especially during the hunt, if you plan properly you 're not going to perform poorly, so you know take your time, plan things out, calculate ahead of time when your sunrise and sunset hours are going to be for the area of New York state you're hunting. And then do the math to find out when you can actually shoot. And know this before you go out. You shouldn't have any questions once you're out in the field when the legal shooting hours are. And take your time. Make sure of it. Just because you can take the shot now, you know, before sunrise and after sunset, doesn't mean that you really should or that you have to, you know. Just use your better judgment and make sure that uh, everything is good there. A little bit more news for you. Um, you know the Sturgeon Point update. The Sturgeon Point Marina is doing very well. Uh, today is September 20th, and uh, you know last year uh, at this time Sturgeon Point Marina was closed because that channel had filled back in with sediment. Um, I'm happy to report, you know, yesterday we did launch out of uh, out of uh, Sturgeon Point Marina. Beautiful day. It was being well used. And uh, that channel has no problems at all. We had, uh, you know, eight to six foot depths, uh, eight foot going in, and once we got inside the harbor, we were at six foot, five and a half, six foot depths, no problems whatsoever. They did a real good job on the dredging this year, and it is deep enough to pass, so, you know, barring any crazy storms that push the sediment back into the, uh, uh, the channel, uh, I can see that it's going to be open right through at least uh, uh, August or August yeah October 15 when the uh, uh, the slips have to close and boat owners have to get their boats out uh, it should be you know well open beyond that time uh, perch anglers if they're getting out there they may even be able to get out in November uh, you know who knows you know that obviously storms can shift things uh, things can happen rapidly out there but it looks really good this year that the sediment hasn't filled back in. Sturgeon Point is open for business, and, uh, you know, the people are there that are working the launch ramps are really nice. Uh, you know, they're they're giving you all sorts of information, and, uh, you know, very helpful people. They run a tight ship there. Uh, it's, you know, making sure people are getting their boats in and out using the proper launch and retrieve it's a wonderful thing, it's certainly a breath of fresh air from uh, other launches that don't have any harbor masters uh, that are just basically allowing a free-for-all on this stuff so you know that's kudos, Uh, that is open and uh, you know enjoy it folks, we have a we have a lot of time left, the perch are on fire, the walleye are still biting and uh, you know the the weather is still nice. Well folks, you hear that music? Yep, that's right. The first break of this episode is uh, coming up here, but don't go anywhere. Stick around. We love outdoors with Rich Davenport. We'll be right back. And welcome back, sportsmen and women and conservationists across New York State and the fruited plain, the We Love Outdoors with Rich Davenport. I am your humble host, Rich Davenport, coming to you from Sunny Tundawanda, New York. And yeah, I tell you folks, you know, what a beautiful weekend we had. It looks like another beautiful day is coming up. Um, you know, that's a great thing. And uh, you know, it's just uh just beautiful out. Well, you know, folks. I wanted to to give you another update here on uh, the epizootic hemorrhagic disease EHD outbreak that's currently going on in New York State. Um, you know, I want to preface this by stating that you know this is not something that just happens out of the blue. We know that we have these biting midge flies around, and you know, since two thousand seven EHD has been present in New York State in limited areas. Um, you know, and it's now starting to show in more areas of New York as fall approaches and uh, the Culicoides genus of midge flies hatch and encounter groups of deer. Uh, DEC has now confirmed cases of EHD across Region 3 confirmed in and dus- Ulster counties um, as well as newly confirmed cases now in Greene and Columbia counties in Region 4, uh, Nassau and Suffolk counties in Region 1, and Oswego county in Region 7. Uh, There's also some uh, tracking of suspected cases, uh, additionally, in Albany uh, counties, Jefferson County, Oneida County, Rensselaer County, Rockland County, Sullivan County, and Westchester counties, and uh, there are some additional cases that are being detected in Orange and Putnam counties. So, you know, these are, uh, you know, obviously an expansion. Uh, It's looking like there's about 700 uh, cases reported of dead deer and uh, you know this is still limited in in scope the largest outbreak that was encountered uh, was an estimated 1500 deer in the lower hudson era in area in 2020. Um, So you know it's spread by the biting midge fly it's not communicable to uh, humans and it's also not spread communally within the deer herd you know deer to deer. Uh, So, you know, this is not something that's going to be a crazy thing, but, you know, biologists still track this to try to account for some of this stuff within the wildlife management units that are impacted for, you know, deer population assessments for next year. So, you know, the DEC is asking and urging all bow hunters this year to report any sightings of deer that fit this, the dead deer, obviously, that fit the EHD description. Uh, Typically, these animals, due to internal bleeding, will be dead, you know, and found near water sources as they dehydrate due to the internal hemorrhaging. Uh, You know, if you do see any uh, deer that are suspected or you suspect have EHD and died of that, uh, reach out to your regional DEC wildlife office and present any of these observed EHD deer as possible. And if you can, you know, provide them some GPS coordinates uh, so, you know, these wildlife techs can get out there and uh you know collect some samples to try to confirm it, especially if it's in a new area you know I've listed some of the counties here again uh, you know detections have been found in Duchess, Ulster, Green, Columbia, Nassau, Suffolk, Oswego, and potential counties of Albany, Jefferson, Oneida, Rensselaer, Rockland, Sullivan, and Westchester. so there also are some additional cases in Orange and Putnam counties. So, you know, if you're in those counties, you know, certainly you want to report, but if you're hunting in a different county and you see that, obviously that's something that's paramount and we need to get uh, the DEC aware of as soon as possible. So please try to, 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 you know, to work with that. In other news, sticking with hunting. We got a big little of a regulatory mess unfolding within the DEC folks you know last year the DEC proposed adding another opportunity in the southern zone portfolio adding another seven days to the extended archery and muzzleloader season at the end of December they affectionately dubbed this the holiday hunt Uh, the regulatory process didn't have enough time to go through all of the comments that they collected on this hunt uh, to actually get it in the books last season as the intention was but shortly after the first of the year once they finished with the evaluations uh, the holiday hunt was established which runs from december 26th to january 1st starting this year and it's a a season that you know is really geared to allow families who have kids away from school you know kids away from home at school Uh, during college you know winter break they may come back home and visit they may want to go out deer hunting even though there's waterfowl season that's going on then as well Uh, you know they may want to go out deer hunting with their their parents and you maybe get you know together with their friends that they haven't seen that they used to hunt with and that's the idea behind it Uh, you know obviously there are some concerns with the snowmobilers and after this announcement, apparently there were some elected leaders in a handful of southern tier counties that expressed concerns and reservations about this new season, worrying that economic impact from snowmobiling would issue you know, or would experience a tremendous loss in these counties, uh, you know, due to the fact that uh, you know some landowners that have snowmobile corridors crossing through their properties. Uh, you know maybe they were concerned about the dual use of the lands Um, that has been put out there and even though the language for the trails uh, being changed in New York to now allow them to open after the close of regular big game hunting season the regular season um, it no longer states you know after the close of the last big game hunting season you know there are some counties that do have those rules in place that they can't open um but you know those things really need those those rules really need to change in those counties that's where the problem is and ultimately you need to let the landowner who has the ultimate decision anyhow if they've got a problem with hunters being out there where there could be some potential uh, snowmobiling happening you know the landowner has the uh, ultimate sway in that they could say sorry no hunting and we've got the trails open now and now this letters are out there that can happen instead the counties have been pushing uh, the d e c, and in response, the dEC has issued a proposal that would allow the counties to opt out of this holiday hunt. Folks, this is a uh prescription for disaster, and in my humble opinion, and I have to state clearly, this is my opinion you know after all, this is my show, it's my commentary it's my opinion, and this is not an official reflection of any of anybody else, but in my opinion, and I am not a lawyer. But I can read and understand the law, and this regulation really appears to be illegal, as the DEC is regulating away their authority to manage the wildlife as the sole authority in New York State, according to the New York State Constitution, Article 14, and New York State Environmental Conservation Law. Counties do not have a say, and since deer and any other wildlife or fish for that matter, they don't know county boundaries. One has to wonder what precedence this could set if it's allowed to stand. But first, let's explore the law. Section 11.0105 of Environmental Conservation Law states that New York State owns all fish, game, wildlife, shellfish, crustaceans, and protected insects in the state except those legally acquired and held in private ownership section 110303 states dec is directed to restore maintain and improve the state's fish and wildlife resources and make these resources accessible for recreational purposes to the people of the state DEC is directed to carry out programs that A. Promote natural propagation and maintenance of desirable species in ecological balance B. Lead to the observance of sound management principles having regard to 1. Ecological factors including the importance of ecological balance in maintaining natural resources 2. The compatibility of production and harvesting of fish and wildlife crops with other necessary and desirable land uses 3 the importance of fish and wildlife resources for recreational purposes 4 requirements for public safety and 5 the need for adequate protection of private premises and the persons and private and the property of occupants thereof against abuse of privileges and access to such premises for hunting fishing and trapping that means this is all on the DEC folks they can't regulate that away and further, under the Constitution, Article 14, Section Three, Paragraph One, it clearly states under forest and wildlife conservation, use or disposition of certain lands authorized, section three, paragraph paragraph three, section one says forest and wildlife conservation are hereby declared to be policies of the state. Done. So would this mean that regulatory Issuances of DEC. Anything regulatory could be opted out of if a county is concerned about economic hardship. Not many know this, but New York State big game hunting seasons are spelled out and protected by law under 110907. In fact, regular season is established as the first Monday after November 15 to the Tuesday after December 7th in the southern zone while northern zone defines the regular season in law as next to last saturday in october through first sunday in december southern zone early archery under 110907 opens october 15th and runs through the day before the regular season opens and northern zone states that early archery opens september 27th and runs through the friday preceding the regular season opener so in the southern zone early archery which opens on October 15th is actually superseded by uh, regulation that was done some years ago to get off of the Monday opener and move to the Saturday kind of thing Um, so right now if there was an economic hardship could this mean that the counties that don't like the early archery opening on October 1 can opt out and make it October 15. How about those counties that really had some big economic hardships when the the Monday opener was moved and the Saturday opener was in place because that too is done regulatorily. In law it's totally different. There was an estimated loss of over 100 million dollars per season due to this change from the Monday to the Saturday because we had like two opening days remember. Monday brought, you know, uh you know, basically eighty-seven percent of the people that came out and, and enjoyed it. And then there was like a seventy-two percent, or actually it was seventy-eight percent. Uh, that enjoyed the old Monday opener and another 72 percent enjoyed the uh, first Saturday and it was moved to 80 percent of uh, total participation when it was moved to the first Saturday but we lost that Monday which was like a you know made that Saturday a second opener just ask folks like uh, the folks that owned Earl's diner in Yorkshire they're closed up now in fact a lot of businesses closed up when they lost that Monday opener You know, they already had the Saturday business during the fourth quarter with holiday shoppers and such, um, but that Monday was really the gravy, and they would open at 4 a.m. to start serving breakfast to all those hunters that were out there on that Monday opener. So does that mean those counties can say, you know what, we're going to opt out of this regulatory change and we're going back to this Monday opener? Wouldn't that be what the precedent sets? It sure would. Now, you know, you could even apply that Uh, you know to fishing too you know if we in Erie County want to set our perch limit on Lake Erie to 15 fish not 50 well that's what we want to do right I mean those those limits are not codified into law those are regulatory so that's the precedent that looks like that could be set here. You know, ultimately, the politicians shouldn't be involved in this. This really, at the end of the day, would be a landowner's decision. And once the landowners say, you know, hey, we don't want the hunting, well, you know, then we've got the corridor taken care of and not a patchwork of this county doesn't allow it, this county does. That's that's really dumb. Um, You know, the state parks have been opening up their trails legally when they're permitted to once the big game regular season closes. It's an unnecessary regulation. And, uh, you know, we need to let the, the DEC know about it. The comment period runs through November 14th, but don't wait. You know, send a letter, send an email, send it snail mail, send it however you need to. But before November 14th, you know, politely ask that this proposal be withdrawn completely. And they go back to the drawing board. Well, folks, you know, this, this is the fastest podcast in history. And you can hear that music coming up. We're going to take our second break of the day, but folks, stick around. Get yourself some coffee. We Love Outdoors with Rich Davenport. I'll be right back. And welcome back, all you sportsmen and women and conservationists across New York State and the fruited plain to We Love Outdoors with Rich Davenport coming to you on Anchor.fm powered by Spotify. Oh boy, yeah, you know, this this regulatory mess here, you know, it's 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 nice to be able to have this regulation uh capability or, or uh, uh, permission, if you will, because the the DEC has authority to regulate above and beyond the law um by permission of the legislature they renew this this uh this law that allows the dec to do that they pretty much renew it every year every few years i'm not sure which but you know they do this because you know the dec sometimes has to react a lot faster to problems that would exist uh you know if they detect it within the wildlife or within a fishery um and we know how you know the the legislative process moves at a snail's pace by design uh regulatorily they can you know handle some things with uh emergency regulation declarations and uh you know going through a 45-day uh comment period after it's proposed and uh, gets into the state register uh that's not the case with 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 regulation so or legislation rather so the 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 uh, State Assembly and the New York State Senate uh, provides uh, legislation to allow the DEC to continue with their regulatory authority. They can't regulate that uh, takes away from what's in law if something is codified in law, but they can, you know, certainly do things that enhance and go beyond what the law states. Um, You know, perhaps uh, they need that, you know, restricted if they're going to be uh, walking down this road of of providing regulation to allow counties to opt out of things. And yes, there is a process that the counties have to opt out. You know, they've got to pass local ordinances and they've got to file them at certain times. And, you know, in order to to take advantage of this holiday hunt, they don't need to do anything. But this is a bad precedence, folks, and it has absolutely no authority for the DEC to regulate their own powers and their own authority and jurisdiction away. So I just wanted to make sure that was clear. Um, you know, it's it getting a little bit, uh, a little bit cumbersome when you when you see so many regulations out there. Um, on the heels of trying to streamline the fishing regulations, it's pretty it's pretty mystifying. Uh, so in other news, we've got some fall fishing news. I don't want to leave the fishermen out because you know the fall is the time when all these fish that we have, these game fish that they're on the feed now in advance of winter. And, uh, you know, although the hunting seasons are hitting their stride, uh, we still have a lot of world-class fishing to take advantage of, especially up in the Lake Ontario tributaries where the annual Chinook salmon and brown trout spawning runs are beginning. Uh, You also got rainbow trout that are just starting to pile into the the tributaries on Lake Ontario and Lake Erie as well um, as they, you know, start moving in to feed on... uh, You know, the eggs from spawning uh, salmon and uh, brown trout. And they're also prepping you to get to their uh, uh, winter feeding areas in advance of their spring spawn so these uh, steelheads start running in. Uh, There's something new this year that, uh, you know, we heard about a couple of weeks ago at the Western New York Environmental Federation meeting. And this could be really welcome news to anglers, and that is, there agreements have been reached between the DEC and the town of Burt to provide periodic water releases from Burt Dam to create a current, an outflow, if you will, on 18 Mile Creek that would draw and help running fish uh, get drawn up these creeks. This new initiative began September 15th, and this is in response to uh, you know positive. how do you say it you know there was a there was a uh, a theory that was applied on oak orchard not too long ago a couple years ago that if there was more current flowing out of the creek when these spawning runs were starting that they would draw more fish into the creeks uh you know obviously you need some flow and the colder water too to trigger those uh those runs but it's really the the current that does it you know typically the fall starts getting wet and you get more rain and you get more outflow in these tributaries and that triggers this fish that are staging out in front of the creek mouths to start running in. Uh, Over the last few years we haven't had a lot of rain in the spring and there hasn't been a lot of current which is uh, thought to be contributing to the lesser number of fish that are entering the tributaries like 18 Mile Creek up to Burke Dam. So starting in you know last week Uh, water releases periodic throughout each day are going to be happening through the end of December which should help draw fish into 18 Mile Creek and and, uh, we're hoping that that's going to happen and this is a you know something that is new so it's going to be helping again through the end of December to bring these spawning fish in and it should really provide some hot fishing action uh, through fall and early winter. Obviously, if you 're going to be fishing in the Burke Dam area, uh, pay attention. you know they already had signs up there that that warn fishermen that when you hear the sirens, you know there's going to be a, a little bit of a siren that that's going to sound before the water release from the dam happens it's going to be a fairly significant uh, water release. I would expect to get that current really flowing all the way through to head out of Ol, you know, head out of Olcott and out the uh, channel into the lake. Um, so you know, be aware that if you hear that siren and if you're waiting, you know, get ready for a uh, you know an increase in flow, uh, possibly a rapid water level rise. You know, I don't know exactly how high it's going to rise. Uh, I I know it won't be like brought the flood stage or anything folks it's nothing like that it can be controlled it's highly granular Um, but this should allow those fish to come in just be aware if you're waiting up near Burt Dam when you hear that you may want to get out of the water and wait uh, for the period of time until that that flow stops Um, you know the trout are also staging at the mouths of the Lake Erie streams with the smaller jackfish now starting their winter their pre-winter runs and, uh, you know, you can expect to see the larger steelhead towards, the, you know, October start entering into these tributaries and rolling up uh, into the the streams and in, up to the first impassable barrier. And just remember, folks, that this is probably going to be the last time you see uh, Scobie Dam over at uh, Cattaraugus Creek at Scobie Park in Erie County and then obviously on the other side at Cattaraugus County this may be the last year you see the configuration of the dam as it is now because work is supposed to start on this Uh, a dam and lowering it and putting in the fish passage etc it's supposed to start in uh, 2022 in spring so you know this could be the last time you see this dam in its configuration once we know that construction is starting we're going to you know make sure we give you some updates on that uh, as that's a big deal you know there's a restoration money that is coming from the Great Lakes Restoration Fund uh, that is funding this project you know the Scoby Dam is in structural failure and something has to be done to make sure that it doesn't completely collapse and have all this water that's being held behind that dam suddenly rush downstream and, and cause havoc um, you know, to folks like uh, Gowanda and, uh, and beyond all the way down to uh, Sunset Bay. Uh, since it is in an Erie County park, Erie County is on the hook for it. But with this project that is now going to lower the dam and put in uh, fish ladders, that you know are specially designed to try to keep the lampreys from going upstream to reach that area. Uh, you know they, they believe that since the great spawning area the, the, the better uh, habitat is upstream of the dam this allows a restoration to allow the steelhead the rainbow trout that are running from Lake Erie to head upstream and get into these great spawning habitats to increase the natural reproduction that is something that is welcome news uh, there's some concern about the existing wild uh, uh, fisheries that are in some tributaries that feed into the Cataraugus Creek upstream from the dam things like Clear Creek uh, streams such as that and uh, and some others that are upstream of the dam uh, but they're going to be monitoring this and and the really the limiting factor is going to be the habitat itself uh, it's you know can only handle so many uh, you know so many spawning reds so uh you know they don't believe that this is going to be too much of a problem but it will enhance the stocks in Lake Erie and bring more wild fish to the mix uh reducing the dependency on um on the fish hatcheries and stocking the fish to keep those population levels up uh you know we're hoping to see this uh project uh, be completed you know by 2022 2023 and uh you know anglers should have a, a a really a good experience you know not just at the uh at the areas where the dam is now but you know you'll be able to watch these fish run up those fish ladders during the right time of year you know late March or early April um you know maybe even late February as the runs really start getting strong um you know I see it all the time when I'm fishing uh 18 mile creek south branch down in uh Uh, East Eden off Lake Erie because remember folks there are two 18-mile creeks. There's one that runs into Lake Ontario That's the one we were talking about with the uh, water releases from Burt Dam runs right to Olcott Harbor right into Lake Ontario And then there's another uh, 18-mile Creek that runs uh, you know from uh, uh, the town of uh, Boston and Also through East Eden there's the main branch and the South Branch that uh, you know come together and uh converge in the town of Hamburg to become the main branch running down through Derby and into Lake Erie. So don't get those confused. Uh that one up in uh down in uh Derby, New York running into uh uh East Eden, that is a, just a prime steelhead stream for Lake Erie Trib. Uh and that really is a it's a lot different looking stream than the late the 18 mile creek that runs uh in Niagara County. Uh, both are fantastic fisheries for the cold water fish. Uh, you also see the smallmouth bass run in in both, and, and, and northern pike up, especially in the northern uh, 18 mile creek in Lake Ontario. Uh, you know, really great, great fisheries in both of them. They're a lot different. Uh, the, the 18 mile creek up in uh, uh, Niagara County, you know, offers a lot deeper water towards the mouth. Uh, They do have harbors and such, and it is, uh, you know, Army Corps of Engineers has done a lot of stabilization up near the mouth versus a totally wild uh, 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 tributary delta that rolls into Lake Erie on the uh, 18-mile creek in Erie County side. Um, But both offer incredible fishing, and, uh, you know, both are going to be very active. But, you know, again, with this stream outflow now from Burt Dam, I'm expecting to see a much better much more active uh, salmon run in the fall which is now starting up folks and uh, you know hey uh, it's it's a good time you can start getting out there right now Uh, you know you still got some daylight hours but just remember up there uh, started September 1 there's no more night fishing on that tributary so you can fish from a half hour before sunrise to a half hour after sunset Uh, No more use of treble hooks unless it is, uh, uh, you know, free swinging on a floating lure such as on a Rapala, a floating Rapala, and uh, you can't use weighted jig heads, Uh, you know, the, the regulations do change to protect those spawning fish that are running up the stream. Uh, So check your regulations, make sure that you understand that you have to be out of there by a half hour after sunset. Anything fishing beyond that is uh, unlawful according to the uh, fishing regulations on certain streams. Um, So make sure you check them. Both Erie and Ontario streams do have uh, different regulations that are in place to protect some of the spawning running fish. Uh, but you know you've got some great opportunity now as the fall is in there the fish are on the feed you know once again the the walleye are biting great on Lake Erie right now they're they're on fire between uh 70 to 90 foot uh you know pretty much from uh the the uh The the water's off of Sunset Bay all the way down to the PA line. The perch are catching on fire right now, running from uh, 60 to 70 foot of water. Uh, Obviously, they're hitting all the emerald shiners, but emerald shiners are still available in the the river, believe it or not. Um, And Russ's Bait and Tackle on Niagara Street does have a supply of them for perch fishermen who are uh, having a little bit of difficulty collecting their own. Okay, folks, so... Uh, you've got some great fishing take advantage of it folks it's absolutely wonderful well you hear that yep one more uh segment to go we're going to take our last break of the day folks you know stretch your legs get a cup of coffee the fastest podcast in history is almost done but we're going to be back for our final episode of the day folks don't go anywhere i'll be right back Welcome back, sportsmen and women, and conservationists across New York State and the fruited plain that we love outdoors. With Rich Davenport, coming to you from Tandawanda, New York, and welcome back to the final segment of this episode today. Uh, yeah, we're we're uh, rocking and rolling, and uh, you know the word is definitely getting out on a more than just this podcast, folks. Um, You know it's starting to spread and that uh you know there's there's this uh scuttlebutt about uh you know offshore wind turbines in the great lakes and things are moving and grooving and uh over the this past weekend on the 18th there was a couple of articles uh that uh were released uh, and published uh one of them appeared in the dunkirk observer the other was in the hamburg sun And, you know, as John D'Agostino of the uh, uh, Dunkirk Observer remarked, a major voice has chimed in regarding development of offshore wind turbines in the Great Lakes, and uh, both the Dunkirk Observer and the Hamburg Sun have reported the news that the New York State Conservation Council has taken the position to seek the permanent moratorium on offshore wind turbine developments in the Great Lakes, not just the New York waters, but all Great Lakes, to seek that permanent moratorium federally as well. Um, there. This is already in addition to uh, the uh, Conservation Council issuing a statement in support of S-6314 and A-7756, the current bills that are in the uh, Senate and the Assembly seeking a moratorium on offshore wind turbine development in any New York fresh water. Supporters are kind of getting in a dizzy, and they're starting to claim that such positions are irresponsible before the science is known. But it's a shame that the science is already known, as feasibility studies were already conducted in 2010 when the New York Power Authority proposed their GLOW project. And from a science standpoint and economic standpoint, the project proved to have no merit. But apparently, some of the proponents of this folly have a case of either selective amnesia or political Alzheimer's, and they're trying to make it like this feasibility study is the first time it's ever been done nothing has changed since 2010 folks and when these studies were released and the conclusions were trotted out very publicly nipa had abandoned the idea citing the crushing costs making this idea utterly vapid of course we'll now see you know, one difference with this study that's just been released now, the updated MyCerta study, and it will be a complete disregard for the costs, not just the money, and this has been the, uh, you know the the crying of the fa environmentalists that everything they do is wicked expensive and we shouldn't look at the costs because you know any cost is no you know it, it's we have to do it to save the planet it doesn't matter what the costs are never mind we can't prove that we're saving the planet never mind we can't do you know prove that the electricity will be there in fact never mind all the science and never mind all the history that says this is going to be a failure we have to save the planet you must believe in our science you know you're a If you don't, um, and even though it's going to, you know, jack uh, your uh, electricity bill up needlessly and it's going to risk the the health of our fresh water needlessly, they're still going to push forward on that. And you know they they never ever are are uh, you know honest with these approach. They just want to bankrupt you and take away your natural rights to use your your natural resources by being you know born on this planet. We have the natural right to use the planet. Um, you know so what happens is is that there's never really a metric that be can that they come up with to you know show that their ideas and their initiatives work. It's just you know blame games that are they're gonna play when it falls short. Well, we didn't spend enough, or we didn't have enough support, or blah blah blah. Um, However, it does appear that some are becoming wise to the charade and the kabuki theater of the global warming zealots. Um, And no, folks, we don't have a climate crisis. This is just you know what happens. Third rock from the sun. It's been happening billions of years. Uh, you know the brainwashing of the the continuing crisis crisis and and uh sensationalized weather forecasts etc for the effect to make people think there's a crisis um it's all a bunch of nonsense um, and of course you know the planet doesn't care about you know how much we're taxed and how much is spent you know it doesn't doesn't matter once or forever however on september 13th a decision was rendered by the minnesota court of appeals in uh, Minnesota and it determined that a natural gas power plant would better serve the public interest than the simultaneously proposed wind and solar projects. Unbelievable that uh, the decision of Judge Louise Dovray Borkman relied on information from the state's public utilities analyst coordinator who said that wind and solar capacity does not always translate into available energy because those resources are unpredictable and controllable. Remember folks, when these when these zealots present your wind factories and solar arrays, all they talk about is capacity. It has enough capacity to power two million homes. But that doesn't always translate into available energy, according to this Judge Borkman, because those resources are unreliable and unpredictable. The wind does not always blow and the sun does not always shine. Hallelujah, somebody figured it out. A critical factor in the decision was a statement in Minnesota statute uh, paragraph 216b.2422 subsection 4 statement or or sentence number 3 stating that due to the intermittent nature of renewable energy facilities there could be an impact on the cost of energy. In fact the judge wrote um in Minnesota Power illustrated in its Energy Forward pre- publication the output from these resources can ebb significantly even over the course of a single day hallelujah i've proven that from the uh production reports on energy output in New York by fuel type where wind can be you know doing something one hour and nothing the next the judge noted testimony from a consulting expert on energy who said that adding more wind instead of natural gas would leave the power company doubly vulnerable to market pricing both to sell surplus energy into the market when prices are low and to buy energy when prices are high. The final conclusion was that wind or solar alternatives are not in the public interest because the costs are higher because of its intermittent unpredictable nature and that is the ultimate truth folks simple determinations when the when the cost benefit analysis are conducted in a thorough thoughtful sober fashion this is what you get this is what the sierra club and the citizen campaigns for the environment want buried deep and in dark places that no one will look Don't examine the cost, don't examine the damage, don't examine the encroachment, and don't question why environmental impact studies are never conducted. We have to save the planet at any cost. Did I mention there exists no way to measure whether these things are even saving the planet? It's a cleverly constructed lie, folks, playing on fear and emotion. Fear of dying and fear of caring for the animals like the polar bears, which are not going extinct. Their numbers are actually increasing, and nor do they have any issues at all with the dynamic nation of it, nature of nature. Sensationalized weather reporting, breeding doom and gloom for every thunderstorm, blizzard, or hurricane that make landfall or not. The breathtaking forecasts, complete with named snowstorms and new terminology like the polar vortex, are all part of this deception. You don't remember the fact that these forecasts fall horribly short of the dangers reported with horror and oh no in their eyes. You remember the exaggeration, not the fake, not the false, not the failed prediction. And when someone says, you know, there's now more severe weather than ever before, you actually start to believe it because of the doom and gloom predictions you get every single day. Yet science always continues to prove weather is always weather. It's always in flux and no more severe than any weather events that we have had over the past millennium, folks. That's the truth. In New York, the target has always been rural areas where few wealthy people actually live. Most of the greeny zealots are the wealthy elites that foist these disasters on poor, poor rural communities, and when they object, they're called NIMBYs, right? Not in my backyards, folks, while overlooking the fact they're placing this stuff in their backyard, not in their own. But the second a project is proposed in their backyard, oh my, holy hell breaks loose, right? I'm sure we all remember the late Senator Ted Kennedy, and after lecturing Americans on the need to install wind turbines, he fought vehemently against the proposal for the Martha's Vineyard project, which would result in spoiling his sunrise. And they suspended that project until after his death, and now other wealthy socialites have resumed his fight to block the spoiling of the sunrise that's NIMBY, but because they got a lot of money, their backyard must be off limits, right? This is the hypocrisy of these folks. Never mind that it doesn't have any kind of relationship whatsoever between capacity and output, as Judge Borkman so poignantly and accurately pointed out in her decision. It's just disgusting. So now these other wealthy socialites you know, they want to say we've got to spoil the rural and we've got to spoil our fresh water and we've got to spoil fishing out in the Atlantic Ocean to fight this stuff. However, in response to these elites in the Hamptons, NYSERDA has made up a new science of visibility, which is crap. There is no such thing. And they, you know, make this make-believe science is their way to try to give credibility to saying, hey, you know, if we put these offshore wind factories 30 miles out, it would eliminate the conflict with the viewshed. Of course, applying to this same standard to the Great Lakes Folly this would kill it dead immediately as we have nowhere in New York that would allow 30 miles offshore in the Great Lakes to keep that visibility and spoiling of the sunset view said down to nothing right according to them after all it's only 12 miles from Sturgeon Point to Long Point in Canada Folks, this is really fascinating stuff, and it's you just can't make this hypocrisy up. It's absolutely breathtaking. You've got, you know, every time there's a development on land that the Sierra Club types and the citizens' campaigns against the environment types that they don't like, they want their park, well, they'll run behind the Ramsar designation and show the concern about muskie spawning grounds and sturgeon spawning grounds and all the stuff that they're concerned about. But as soon as they want to screw up this lake, the actual place where these spawning muskie that they have so concerns about actually go to live, same thing with the lake sturgeon, etc., etc., well, then it's you're, you're jumping the gun. You don't know what the science will say. Pure hypocrisy, folks. Now, I have mentioned that NYSERDA has just recently released their latest feasibility report, Part due, It's 169 pages long, I have not yet read it, it was just released uh, over the weekend, but I will review it and I'm going to compare it to the first study. I already know what it's going to say, they're going to say that the wind potential is awesome, but that's capacity folks, that doesn't translate into reliability. It translates into unreliable intermittent power, that hasn't changed. And the ice is really, they don't know what the ice is going to do out there. That's a big unknown still. And, uh, you know, the study is going to say that, oh, well, the the lake is shallow and it should be easy to develop and blah, 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 blah. It's all the same stuff that they did back in 2010. And I'll be sure to point that out in the coming uh, episodes of We Love Outdoors just to make sure that you guys understand what falsehoods are being foisted upon us in the name of you know feasibility studies and then in the name of junk science if you will because they're gonna have it presented by somebody wearing a lab coat but this is just fantastic it's I am no question about it the science hasn't changed the feasibility hasn't changed and the level of folly hasn't changed either with the Great Lakes folks but again The battle is joined. The New York State Conservation Council has jumped into the fray. I'm expecting a lot more uh, conservation groups as they recognize this folly to jump in as well. And, you know, know, don't worry about a thing, folks, because they're not built. They're not going to be built, folks. We're going to win this fight, and we're going to protect this fishery that is one of the world-class fisheries and our drinking water for the kids not yet born with everybody's help for the you know foreseeable future and uh what a great legacy that's going to be well folks you hear that music that's right that'll do it for this episode of we love outdoors with rich davenport but i will be back same bad time same bad channel i'll talk to you all next week god bless folks